What's up, guys? Welcome to The Narrative with me, Samantha Weaver, and my co-host, Asia Porter. Hello, and welcome back to season two of The Narrative. We are so excited to be back and producing content again for you all, and we are even more excited and grateful for all of you that are listening. Season one went way beyond mine and Samantha's expectations, and it was way more impactful than what we could have either thought it would be, and that is just solely because of you guys constantly listening in, constantly sharing our episodes, so we are so, so thankful for you. Um, Yeah, this episode is just going to kind of be a nice welcome back to our season and the swing of things. We want to kind of catch up on things that have been happening since we've been away, as well as kind of ease into this new direction that we're going to be taking with season two, which is going to be very community-based and kind of looking at actionable next steps moving forward. So with that said, there's kind of a big elephant in the room that we cannot ignore um, that happened (laughs) while we were away the 2020 election. So Samantha, what are your just general thoughts um, about a Biden-Harris administration coming in the next couple of months? Yeah, we kind of talked about it in our, I think it was our Let's Talk episode. And we brought up like the controversy around like, oh yeah, we have Kamala Harris. Um, You know, she's a black Indian woman. And then we have Joe Biden and they both have histories and are representing, I guess, like a moderate part of the Democratic Party, but they kind of have his, like their track record, especially with people of color is not that great. So there was a lot of questions of like, dang, is this really, you know, are these our only options? Do we have to just deal with this? And like, you know, how do we approach that? So, I mean, overall, of course, I'm happy that they won. I think it's kind of weird that like, we weren't able to actually have our first reaction like on this podcast and just being like, what did we really feel? But honestly, for me on election night, I was just like, okay, that's great. Like I was very chill about it. It was for me, I was just, and I know I'm that there are still issues remaining. Absolutely. Yeah. But I was definitely relieved because the reality is either Trump was going to win or Biden was going to win. Like maybe you know, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that wasn't our ideal, but the reality is one of those two was going to win. And I'm so grateful that Biden won and not Trump. Um, I think that there will definitely still be things moving forward that we need to make sure we hold him accountable for and make sure that we can push um, through his administration. But I just think of things like climate change, like Trump was not going to do real anything. <laughs> Trump had like climate change who like he was not going to do anything. So I think this wasn't the solution. Absolutely. But I think that it was a necessary step if you were going to get anything done that really pertains. be a positive impact on like our world at large. But yeah, I just hope this man concedes, honestly, because in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, Biden won. Like he's going to be in the White House. But truthfully, Trump is up here still having like lawsuits (laughs) against like election. (laughs) When I told, she's shaking I, her head, y'all. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> when I, I was talking to my dad the other, yesterday, actually, because I just got back home yesterday when I'm talking the other day. I was talking to my dad yesterday, and I was like, I honestly, whenever I see Trump's name come up, I'd be forgetting about this man. I mean, I know he's still president, but I'd really be forgetting about this man. When I see, like, Trump filing a lawsuit, I'm just like, mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. next. No, I, mm-hmm. I totally I said, get what's that. what's for dinner? <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah. But yeah, I don't wanna we don't wanna like waste all this time talking about Trump because like he is leaving. Thank God, like that that will be our reaction for this podcast. Um but like before kind of going into like the whole community-based thing, we kind of still wanted to recognize that um there is a lot of critique about the electoral process in this country. And, you know, that's not only going to come up every four years, but it comes up every two years. We have to think about, you know, all our offices. Um, and honestly, Asia and I didn't really have, we don't really have like a set, you know, response to electoralism, but we did want to bring up kind of just like our, you know, just side comments. I feel like everybody has side comments about a few things. Um, and I think for us, we would like to say that we recognize the faults within the electoral system. Um, and we know that there's no, but we also recognize that there's no perfect candidate. And we also believe that based on the way that our country is structured right now, the way things that work, the way things that power and the role that power plays within our politics and how we work in a global system, we still recognize how important it is to participate in politics and participating in voting. Um, but that brings up the question of what, like what is the justification to not participate? Cause I'm hearing that a lot. I'm hearing people yeah. like, you know, we heard a lot about opting out of voting and like it was so they were so slick with it they're like yeah i don't want trump but like i don't believe in voting either like you just see all these like slide comments and i'm like what do you mean like if people don't vote then he's gonna be back in the office yeah and i guess so um i was very interested in this like more like leftist progressive critique of electoralism um because it, the, the whole idea behind it is that electoralism, this like two-party system, is rooted in white supremacy, which I'm not going to refute and I'm not going to deny. Um, and so the idea is that by participating in the system, by casting a vote, you're validating that system and you're prolonging it and perpetuating it. Which again, I'm not going to refute. Where I would just get, tri where I always just got tripped up was like. Um, I didn't really see people critiquing the system when it meant the possibility of Bernie Sanders becoming president. I didn't really see people, I don't really see people critiquing the system when it means the potential for like Cory Bush or AOC to be elected to Congress, which isn't necessarily electoralism because they like the idea of electoralism is like you're casting a vote and then the electorate or like your delegates then cast the vote for presidency. So I recognize that AOC and Cory Bush, like it's, you know what I mean? Like it, they're, there's not a there's not a group of delegates voting for them however they do go through primaries and so like in order for cory bush to be on the ballot this november she had to win the democratic primary same with aoc like they are still very much so within this two-party system like they have to win the democratic primary um but i never really see anybody talking about like when bernie was 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 when it meant the potential for bernie sanders to become president nobody was like oh <laughs> and I fully recognize that Bernie and Biden are very different candidates. I personally would have preferred a Bernie Sanders presidency to a Joe Biden presidency. I, I fully recognize that those are different candidates and those are different administrations. However, for me, like 
if the issue is a, is the system, like the same system that you critique when Joe Biden is president is the same system that exists if Bernie Sanders is running for president. Like they're not, you know what I mean? Like voting for Bernie Sanders is just as much validating the system as voting for Joe Biden is. And so I don't understand like that. I don't understand the critique at all. No, I, I do understand the critique because like the idea is that by casting a vote, you're validating the system, which I would agree with. If you're, if you're, participating in the system you're perpetuating it i fully agree with that however if um if what i'm just saying that like we need to recognize that this is an old country right based on like old systems and like they still exist in some shape or form and like that's where the whole community-based thing comes in that we'll talk about in a second but it's like you have to realize this is so unfortunate but this is something that i'm coming to realize the more that i uh, you know, read and learn about the way like power and money and everything is done within this country. I hate to say it, but you're going to have to use, you know, the master's tools, you know, like from that whole quote to get some things done in this country. I know that's like a hard reality for people to face, but it's just true. Like we're not just going to like shut down everything in a second. And that's like the whole debate about like reform and abolition. Some things you may be able to get away with, like, you know, abolish like quickly like yeah those need to go right then and now um but some stuff like you're gonna have to understand to get to where you want like you're gonna have to play the game a little bit and i know that's not what people want to hear but it's just so true so i think that brings up the the question like to what extent are you able to actually abolish things so like let's for example like um in the in the world of progressivism the i like an ideal (laughs) or maybe not ideal, but like just of the candidates that even ran for president this Mm -hmm. year. I'm not saying like you could pick any random random candidate. Um, But let's say in this, I'm not saying that this is like absolute ideal. I'm just picking from candidates that we actually had the, that actually ran for president this year. Let's just say, for example, you have Bernie Sanders as president and then Congress and Senate, uh, uh, sorry, the House and the Senate are just filled with with progressives. In order to achieve that, you would have still participated in either the two-party system, electoralism, you would have some, our democratic voting process, you would have still engaged in that to achieve that. Would then, would you label that as then like, as adequate change? So like, let's say you had progressives filled every branch of government. Would you still then feel like that went, would you still feel the need to go further? Because if you would, then in that case, I would be like, okay, then yeah, then you don't see the path to victory by operating within the existing system. You feel like you completely need to dismantle it. However, if you do think that adequate change would be just having a bunch of progressives in the presidency, um, or sorry, in the White House, in Congress, on the Supreme Court, then I would say then you're, I mean, you can still take issue with the system, but like, you just want to see different people in those positions. You just want better representation, which I think is fine too and fine to call for. But like, I guess that's where I question this like call to not vote because I feel like people still do recognize that there is power in voting, which is why people organize so heavily to get Cory Bush into office, to get AOC in office. Like people recognize the importance of those um, races. 
it's also important because you see how hard people fight to, you know, keep people from voting. Like voter suppression is real. So, you know, I just don't, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, I agree with the way that you explained it. But for me, like, I just believe this takes a pill. Like, you need to take your reality pill and like, just roll with it. Um, I'm not saying there's a lot of injustice going on in this country. Like, of course, I know that as a black female, um, but we have to think about what is the real way to like success. And I think that look comes from learning up on history, but also participating in your community. And that's what we really wanted this first episode to be about, um, to really talk about the importance of being an active member. I know in our description, we talked about like social activism. Um, and before we kind of dive into this, we kind of wanted to kind of just explore like what that really meant. I know for me, uh, social activism really starts with, you know, kind of humbling yourself. And within, within humbling yourself, that means like putting yourself in different situations and just realizing you're not really going to know all the answers. Sometimes you're just going to be completely full, like clueless, um, but that you are aware of, a of both your intent and impact. I know for me, I am, so I'm from North Carolina, and this is the first time I've ever been to the Midwest. St. Louis region, literally have no family here. Um, can't, I really can't tell you why I really chose to come here, but I did know like right off the bat, there were just so many ways um, to learn about where I was um, and to learn how I could be a contributing member. And for me, that started with like, quote unquote, social activist work, working with nonprofits, etc. I think it's overall, it's really helped me kind of know more about St. Louis, know about how I fit within the community. And also maybe some things that I, you know, just didn't realize maybe from even back at home, like just the way that like politics works, the way that power works, the way that, um, you know, how you can become so blind to like just basic injustices that you just, you know, you have never been exposed to. But I'm wondering like for you, Asia, like what is that kind of looked out? Cause that looked like, cause that's a little bit of like an overview for me on like just the impact that being a part, like being an active member in this community has had. I think that social activism and just like being very socially aware requires like two things. One, I think it requires you to constantly be skeptical and constant. I don't, I don't want to say pessimistic because I don't think you necessarily, you might, you might be a little pessimistic. Um, I don't necessarily think you have to be pessimistic, but you definitely have to be skeptical. And I think that in you being skeptical and you constantly questioning things that you've been just told to accept as like objective facts that can sometimes cause you to be pessimistic that you can change it um but yeah i think that one you have to constantly be questioning things and then two i think that you have to really make an effort to see everybody's humanity i think that there are certain people within the population that i think that you are just kind of socialized to like vilify and dehumanize whether that be the poor whether that be incarcerated people whether that be black people whether that be homeless people you know you just you're con you're taught to kind of feel see that like it's on their own merit that they are in a place of misfortune and i think that 
So on one hand, you have to be skeptical that that is true. And two, you then have to humanize them and really see them as being value and see valuable, sorry, see them as being valuable um, and thus like worth advocating for. Um, and so, I don't know, I am just very interested in particularly racial justice. I, social activism en encompasses way more than race. I'm just saying that that's personally my area of like passion and what I particularly enjoy learning about. What's interesting is that all of those things kind of seem to intertwine. Like you say, you're into like racial, you know, injustice, but then that's what I'm saying. Like me being here and I particularly work with like, I work with a nonprofit that addresses like the needs that are unhoused, the needs and problems that are unhoused people um, face. And like through that, I've seen that it's not only a racial issue, it's not only an economic issue, it's about like environment. Um, it's about like, just like the, again, you're talking about the way that we, you know, see these people. So the discourse around like what it means to be homeless. So when you really work with in like your community and for me within the unhoused community, I've been able to see like through that, you know what I mean? So even when you think like you, you may be passionate and like, like Asia, you said you're passionate in uh, racial like injustice. I know that you're into like law. Um, I'm sorry. Like when you start, I know that you're into like I, law, but. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming for me. Um, <laughs> Asia wants to be a lawyer when she's all done here. So, and I don't know much about being a lawyer, but I know that she's very um, into the law and that's how I'll say it again. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, it's very racialized in our country. Um, so my point is that it just all, you, you step one foot into, you know, this one bucket, you realize that you're really in all of them. And I think that's the, what makes being active in your community so important because you learn more than what, you know, you ever think you would. Um, and I'm just curious if you, like, have you ever, what kind of things have you been involved with? maybe like back at home, like in Ohio, yeah, um, um, kind of here. Yeah, um, so my first, I've, so my first year I interned for this nonprofit called Cincinnati Urban Promise, which provides like mentoring and, so I did their summer program, but technically they would provide like mentoring after school programs, things like that. Um, and then they have a summer program for low income students in Cincinnati, they're predominantly black. Most it, the kids who weren't black were usually Latinx, um, but they like all qualified for like reduced meal plans, um, like government assistance, like for school the school lunch program. Um, so that was kind of like the demographic that we served. And to your point, like you notice it. Like I worked with fourth through sixth graders, and you notice the ways in which race, poverty, things like that intersect, like education system, for example. So um, we would have to go through like reading exercises and math exercises. And some of my kids couldn't read or like they could read, but they could like barely read. Um, a lot of my kids couldn't do multiplication. Like they were sixth graders and they could not, like, if I was like, what six times three, they would have to like, they'd have to draw a picture. They would not know. Um, and then I think about like my education. I grew up in a predominantly white community that's relatively affluent. Um, by third grade, you had to know your times tables. Um, I always joke that I would come home and my mom would have flashcards. She'd be like, all right, come on now. What's eight times four, eight times four, five times seven. Let's go. Let's go. And it's not even that you don't have, 
it's not that they and i think to the point where you have to like humanize people and challenge what you've been taught to believe i think that society will teach you that those people that weren't could could barely read and didn't know multiplication that they just were dumb that's what society would teach you that they just were less intelligent and that's not the case because if you spoke to them you could tell that they had that they were incredibly intelligent um they were very sassy questioned everything i did so i said okay so i know you have critical thinking skills because you will not accept anything that i'm telling you as the right thing to do um but yeah they just weren't provided the resources and so um and then this past summer i worked with aclu missouri with their covid 19 teams and looking at like incarcerated populations and i talked about it on the let's talk episode how like incarcerated populations are just completely dehumanized and just viewed as being subhuman and then you just you read the reports that of the conditions going on in these jails and prisons and it's like nobody deserves to have to wear the exact same like jumpsuit for two months without it being laundered like middle of a global pandemic like i don't care what you've done you don't deserve to sit in disease like that just doesn't make sense so i don't know i think that those are kind of like the main ones that stick out to me i've done like a few other like volunteering here and there but i think those were the two most impactful ones um but yeah i agree with you that social activism is is very intersectional and i think that you have to um and and in that sense in order to be effective you have to advocate for in that same vein you have to advocate for all parts of the population like you saw that a lot with the black lives matter movement um this idea of like say her name making sure you're advocating for black women making sure advocating for black trans lives because we are not about to sit here and act like homophobia is not a problem in the black community like because it is <laughs> and and every black person i know we oh, i know we always be dogging on white people about how they need to do better how they need to do better black community need to address homophobia in our own communities because it's rampant it's ridiculous um so yeah i think that to your point like how you were talking about the unhoused population like it's race it's the economy it's it's everything yeah and that's why i hope that what okay so our first season was about you got to hear stories from people of color about how races intersect into their life and i that's why we think like this segue going into um you know community service kind of or that's why we think this season being oriented around community service is so important because we hope that you guys can that all listen throughout last year are able to take what you learn, take their stories um, and realize that there's just so many ways and places that you can get involved. Um, especially if you're here in St. Louis, there's a lot of, I'm I'm like pretty sure almost everybody that's listening to this goes to watch you. In St. Louis, there's so many things going on. Like there's no reason to be complacent. Yeah, we're in a, um, <laughs> a whole global pandemic, goodness gracious. Um, but yeah, I really do think that, <laughs> I really do think that, um, that's no, it's pandemic. <laughs> a whole, I like wake up every day and I'm like, wow, we're really still at this. This is crazy. It's, um, not funny. I'm, it's not funny. A lot of people have really been struggling, but I should not laugh. I'm sorry. Continue. I'm dead. Y'all understand where I'm coming from. It's just crazy that we're still going through this. But again, that doesn't mean that we can get complacent and the suffering others. Like I know me, um, in Asia, we're just college students vibing in the apartment that I was able to afford because my university gave me the money for it. Like, it could be worse. So we need to really, you know, be on guard, um, not fall into, you know, just not 
like not falling into, I call it the black square syndrome now. I didn't share that with anybody else, but you know, don't fall into like just doing one little thing and being super performative about it. Like, you know, things are going on. Um, you know, if you're just ordering takeout every night and like just going to sleep, like that's just not it. There's a lot of ways to get involved. Um, again, we hope like what we talked about last season showed you that there's a lot of issues going on, not only within, you know, POC communities. Well, unfortunately, it seems like everything falls back on people of color. We get hit by it the worst. But um, I hope it just gave you a little bit of like leeway into what is really going on and whether you realize it or not, whether it's affecting you directly or not. Um, and it kind of inspires you to kind of figure out where you fit in all that, where you can really help out, where you can learn. And like in that, I think that the whole reason why we brought up this idea of like critiquing the system earlier was in order to really feel ground level change. Um, I mean, like your national leaders are important. And I, I personally would still urge everybody to vote and participate in national elections, but that can't be where it stops a lot of people will be so heavily influenced and affected by what happens locally. Um, and so that's kind of the whole envision, not the vision, the whole vision for um, this season is really looking at community-based interventions and what you can do as an, as an individual on a community scale and like a local basis to really um, conjure up adequate change. So anything from like mutual aid funds to attending protests and rallies to just organizing, just community organi community organization, um, I think is going is really what people are calling for moving forward um, in conjunction with politics and like voting and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, so we shared just like our personal anecdotes as like organizations that we've been involved with. However, there are tons of amazing community organizers that are doing great work, whether that be starting up mutual aid funds, reentry funds, um, organizing protests, organizing rallies, all that great stuff. And so that's going to be the focus of this upcoming season. We want to hear from them, hear what goes into that work, hear what they need from us um, to be active members of our communities and really engaged citizens who are fighting for change. It's really easy. I have to add this. It's really easy not to feel the change if you're just focusing what's going on at the federal level. I feel like I've really been inspired about by a lot of the activism going on in St. Louis. So yeah, I just don't want, again, I just don't want anybody to, to become complacent. Um, there's room for everyone to get involved. I even sit here sometimes and I'm like, dang, like I probably could have done something beneficial today like that could have helped somebody else. So we're just asking you guys to be eager about that. We're asking you guys to join us throughout this next season to maybe learn some ways and get inspired of how you can, you know, help out in St. Louis community, help out in the community that you will eventually graduate from college and go be a part of. So I yeah. think that's it. That's that's it for this first episode. We just wanted to give it like a short little preview into what this season's gonna be about. Um, we thank you so much for joining us, joining us <laughs> on this first episode of season two of the narrative. We're so happy to be back. Um, I'm going to add in a little, if you have an idea of, if, or if you have like a community-based intervention that you want to know more about, whether that be like mutual aid, community gardens, protests, rallies, you know, this, that, and the third. If you have something that you're like, I'm really interested in learning more about this, how to get involved with it, what goes on behind the scenes, 
DM us and let us know what you would like to hear from. We can maybe make this like an interactive season. Who knows? I know we said at the beginning of last season, and I don't really know to what extent that happened. But <laughs> but we can always that can always be the goal. So yes, thank you so much for joining us for the on this episode of the narrative. Thank you so much to Kat, our third partner in crime. Um, and we look forward to bringing you all some great content this season. You guys just listen to the narrative. New episodes are released every month. Hope you have a great week.